Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 131. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about School Without Walls, a conversation with Principal Richard Trogish about innovative school practices. You can find other resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Last month, I had the privilege of walking into a Washington, D.C. high school, a four-story building interspersed with hallways full of art. I saw hand-built go-karts with bicycle parts lining a floorway where students were practicing building designs. Skylights hovered over walls of exposed brick, creating a sense of both old and new in a building that's been expanded over the past decades to serve just over 600 students, grades 9 through 12. The top floor is a home to a library with windows that look out across at George Washington University, a partner with School Without Walls. And School Without Walls is a high school that boasts the following mission, to provide every student with a rigorous college preparatory humanities program that incorporates global and local resources in an experiential and interdisciplinary methodology to teaching and learning, end quote. Every senior is required to submit a senior research project to present his or her findings in order to receive a School Without Walls diploma in addition to a Washington, D.C. high school diploma. And over 1,300 students apply each year to attend the school with just 140 being accepted to the incoming freshman class. Now, Richard Trogish also leads a School Without Walls K-8 neighborhood school as well. It's not a magnet school. It's a neighborhood school that serves the students of that community, whereas the high school receives applications. I was walking into the school because Dr. Akil Ross, who's the 2018 National Principal of the Year from Chaplin, South Carolina, had invited me to accompany him there. And he had graduated from that high school in 1998. And 20 years later, he was returning to hug the neck of Miss Sylvia Isaac, a former teacher, now associate principal of the school. And we sat down with Richard Trogish and Assistant Principal Simone Anderson and Associate Principal Sylvia Isaac to talk about the background of their school, the data and the outcomes that students were showing in performance, and then just to see students and teachers in action. Just recently, I reached back to Richard Trogish and asked him if we could follow up with a conversation via Zoom to just share about the practices of leading a school like this for the past 13 years. We've talked about things like the community's culture, the safe learning environments for students, the high standards of academic rigor, the wraparound programs, and the partnerships that they have with parents. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. You'll notice as a Zoom conversation, we're not using uh, studio mics, but there are so many golden nuggets in this conversation about the, the power and practice of good school leadership that I believe applies whether you're looking at a public charter like his high school is or a neighborhood school like the one he leads, or if you're looking at your own school. So listen in for these practices that we're discussing. And then at the end of this conversation, I'm going to come back in for some closing thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for growing together. And thanks for doing what matters. Richard, thank you so much for the opportunity to connect 
through Zoom, but also the opportunity to share your story with other principals too. Welcome to Principal Matters. And could you just give a quick introduction about um, yourself and the years that you've served in education and your background? My name is Richard Trogus. I'm the principal of School Without Walls uh, High School, as well as School Without Walls at Francis Stevens, which is an educational campus, pre-K through eight as well, uh, here in Washington, D.C. I've been a principal since 1985 and in education since the 70s. Let's say it that. I've taught at least 10 years. Uh, as a social studies teacher, I've also taught math. I've directed dramatic performances. I've been a coach, a baseball coach, a basketball coach, squash. I've uh, been very much involved in, in any school that I've been in. I have international experience. I've, I've worked in, uh, in Paris, France, in the International School of Paris. I've also been the headmaster of the International School of Aruba. And part of my mission as an educator was to bring the high academic standards of the European system uh, and meld it with the humanistic approach of the United States. So we raise the bar, but we make sure that the people who are, who are teaching are well-trained and have the expertise and knowledge base. And we make sure that students feel welcome and love to come to school. And we celebrate our community culture through three or four major, major events during the year. We have a, a Thanksgiving feast where students come back and visit from college and tell their stories about how well they were prepared for college. And then we celebrate Black History Month as we are in a very diverse school uh, where we celebrate diversity. And finally, we have an international school, international night where our exchange students, and we tend to have 10 to 20 exchange students as part of our community, uh, speak about their countries and give, give the, the parents as well as the student body information about our culture. So that's how we celebrate uh, diversity at School Without Walls, at both well, campuses for, the, for that. Well, share some statistics with us, Richard, because I've had the privilege of walking into your building and seeing the diversity seeing the talented teachers that you have, seeing the amazing administrative staff that you serve those students with. But share a little bit of context for those who may not know much about your school. What has made School Without Walls such, such a gem and such a treasure to, to be a part of building? I think that a lot of it had to do with my belief in students and that my decisions in terms of school, even though we know that education is very political, is based on what's good for students. We set the bar high in terms of rigor by demand, by having students take AP exams starting in the 10th grade, uh, AP World History. It's a two-year required course in District of Columbia, and uh, we ma I mandated that so that students would have the opportunity to apply for a, a program with George Washington University, which accepts between 10 and 15 students to go full-time at the university and graduate from George Washington University with an associate's degree, as well as with our high school diploma. And that, they were worried about the rigor. Uh, so all students who took AP World History and were successful, that was a key to them being accepted into the program. So all my teachers, whether they teach AP uh, subjects or not, are required, we pay for them to go get AP training in their subject area so that they understand the rigor that we expect and know how they fit into the, the curricular the curricular sequence in order to prepare students well. Of a graduating of 150 last year, they received over $18 million in scholarships and awards. 
And that's because we do such a good job, I think, in terms of social, from a social emotional standpoint, we have invested with four guidance counselors. So I have a guidance counselor that stays with the students from ninth grade through 12th grade, knows them intimately, uh, also very strongly linked to parents. They meet with parents on a regular basis. And that is the strength of the school. We make decisions about when students make poor choices or poor decisions in terms of behaviors or academics, we typically talk to the parents first and tell the parents in all of our open houses, et cetera, that before we make a decision about a student, we will consult with you to find out if there's any extenuating circumstances as to why they're not performing at the level we expect. We are the only school in Washington, D.C. that has an open campus for lunch. So students have to manage, learn to manage their time, whereas traditionally high school students are made to stay on campus and forced to stay on campus in many ways. We give them, everyone, that privilege and relieve them of that privilege if they don't perform academically or behaviorally. And then they tend to have to eat lunch in my office versus being with their friends. So that's an extra motivator to get to do well. And again, and of course, again, parents are cognizant of that as well. That's wonderful. And I know from experience, walking your building, talking to students, being with one of your graduates, Dr. Akil Ross, that the philosophy that you have adapted for both the high school and your pre-K eight kids gives them learning that's hands-on, that's interactive, that's exploratory, that's innovative, that puts them out into the community. And I love it that you're leading two separate schools. Your high school is a magnet school, but your pre-K through eight is a is a um, district public school that's not magnet. And so, um, so in both settings, you've you've practiced that philosophy in both of those settings, and you've seen some pretty amazing outcomes. Share some of the outcomes that you've seen from your students in addition to scholarships. I know there's been some other amazing outcomes that your kids have had performance-wise. We found that the office of state superintendent, since we're not really a state, but the superintendent's office has given us statistics that of students who take 84% of my students from the high school graduate from college in four or five years. I mean, wow. that's a st- that's an outside longitudinal study that really makes us proud to know that not only have we prepared them for the next step in terms of university, but they're actually finishing, which is much higher than the uh, national norm. The other things that we do that are sort of unique is all students at the high school must successfully complete an internship in their area of interest. When I first came, some students would say, oh, I'm going to do an internship. I'm going to work at McDonald's. And I said, no, not unless you're going into food management. We need you to, to be able to see whether you're, the interest that you think you have is reality-based. And sometimes we've had students say, well, I think I want to be an accountant. And they go work in an accounting firm and they come back and say, uh, no, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't want to do that. So they find something else that they're interested in. We also link it to our senior project, which is an outside measure. Uh, it's a 15-page research paper that's... Um, written in conjunction with with teachers in the building, but it's graded by our our partners at the George Washington University professors, as well as our law firm, to prove that they have the the, the competency can be seen outside the outside the school walls. In addition, they then have to present their research to panels made up of one teacher and people from the community, including the, the Chancellor's office or the education department, as well as George Washington professors and our law firm and actually neighbors in the in the in the neighborhood 
who come in and judge their performance. If they don't pass the paper or they don't pass the, the presentation, they don't get to school without Wall's diploma. And that's an extra credit and a half beyond the DCPS diploma. So we've only had in, in the course of, since we've instituted that graduation requirement of senior project, only two students in the past seven years were not awarded our diploma because they did not either do the project or they were they didn't correct it to make sure that they passed. So that's an outside, because I want my students to be able to prove their competency, that they're competent, not just pass AP exams or get Carnegie units, but demonstrate to the community. And, and that leads us to our school is ranked by Newsweek and Washington Post, 51st in the country. We're number one in the District of Columbia and within the DMV, which is Virginia, uh, Maryland in the District of Columbia, we're ranked in the top one, two, or three. And, and that includes some schools from the private sector. Congratulations. Well. well, congratulations, Richard. And is it public knowledge yet about Blue Ribbon School? Yes, we, we're happy to say that we've got our second Blue Ribbon. We got the first one in 2010. And obviously, that's helped with recruiting for sure. Uh, when we just we were, we were informed that we are going to receive uh, the Blue Ribbon. Uh, again on November 7th. But yes, it is going public and we are very proud to be a, a Blue Ribbon School. Well, that's great. By the time I release this recording, we'll be celebrating November 7th with you then. And I'm so excited for you guys. I, I have a question, Richard, that I remember you talking about this when we were together in D.C. One of the things that you said in that conversation was how you believe that the culture of your school is really the foundation for all of the, the learning that can happen there. And I, and I know that's a foundational belief that you have. Talk about that for a minute. How, how have you learned to embrace and celebrate the culture of your, of your students in your school? As a principal for so long, I've learned the more I trust my students to do the right thing, the better they perform. So rather than have lengthy rules, et cetera, we operate under the four R's, respect yourself, respect others, respect property, and respect the rights of others to learn, and I won't call your parents. And the other thing that we, the song that I sing is to my students, especially at the high school level and at the middle school level as well, is that you're in school to learn and to better yourself. This is an opportunity for you to be successful in life. And so you should demand your education. I make, I first day of school, I meet with all the grades and I say, can you raise your hand? So if you can raise your hand, then you can demand your education because you should not be leaving any classroom without knowing what was going on or understanding what was going on. And that leads to our support systems. When you, when you have 13 or 1400 people applying for a school, it's, it's very honorable, but at the same time to not have students be success key factor. So we have multiple support systems set up. The first day that I started here 13 years ago, the first thing I had to do was tell 36 students that they were no longer accepted at the school without walls because of their academics. Because if you get below a GPA of a, of a 2.0, you're asked to go back to your neighborhood school. So it was incumbent upon us when we have the creme de la creme, if you will, that failure is not an option. So we have this built in the necessary support, whether it be peer tutors, teachers who put in an inordinate amount of time, because we don't have traditional disciplinary problems. Students, they know about the 18 million at the end of the rainbow and that they want to get into this college for their choice. And my students are motivated, and they know that if they don't perform, we bring the parents in. And 
between that and the support systems that we've set up, that's why our students are as successful as they are. Well, that's really powerful. And I know that some principals listening might think, well, wow, I wish I could, you know, selectively ask students to leave my building if they're not performing. But I know that you're also creating supports in your pre-K-8 systems too. And what kinds of culture building uh, work are you guys doing with those neighborhood kiddos that you know that are going to be showing up regardless of their performance? Well, so a lot of my high school students have a requirement of internships and they choose to go and serve as interns in classrooms, in after-school activities, after-school care at Francis Stevens. And they bring that, that attitude towards school with them and obviously contribute to, to those students. And again, we trust students to make good decisions and we make sure that parents are very much involved. Even though the Francis Stevens campus is a neighborhood school, the brand draws from all eight wards. So we have a very diverse population there and we celebrate that as well. The acceptance of being there for students when we recruit teachers, I can't teach them to care, but I can teach them to teach. So when we interview people for positions, we make sure that they like children. Uh, It seems very simplistic, but that's a key factor in, in hiring staff. I'm so glad you said that because I that's something else that I remember you talking about in our visit was how important it was for you not just to have strong academic standards, but that teachers love students. One of the things that makes both schools really successful is involvement. And teachers give it to themselves because they're not the energy drain about dealing with minor disciplinary problems or cell phones or those kind of issues. We've done away with those. We've trusted kids to do the right thing. A lot of kids don't come to school for because they're looking for academics. They come to school for, for their friends or for the activities that they're involved in, whether it's athletics, the model UN, debate club, whatever it is. We have we let students determine what the after-school activities are or what their clubs are. So we have a cheese club that was formed and children bring in cheese and they eat it with their, their teacher sponsor at lunch or after school a bacon club. I mean, clubs that, you know, ultimate Frisbee dropped out of the sky. We didn't have it here, but kids wanted to do it. We helped facilitate that. And they just need to find an adult sponsor. And it happens. And the more opportunities you have for students to interact after school and socially, it really helps in terms of their social emotional support system. Again, we do have the four guidance counselors and we have teachers who, who meet with students Uh, on a regular basis before school, during lunch, after school, to make sure that they understand what what they've been taught and be able to think critically and apply the knowledge, not just just reiterate what, what the teacher said. The way that you guys partner with parents, talk about that for just a minute in terms of of how you've built strong relationships with parents throughout the year, because that seems to be something that I didn't get the sense when I was at your school that you see parents as intruders. I saw how important you saw them as a part of your family. Absolutely. Well, school, it is a family. I'll go back to the admissions process. To be eligible to take our admissions test, which is basically a 10th grade test that we give to eighth graders made up of half math and half reading questions, students had to have an overall B average, cumulative average in the seventh grade, their last full year of school. So we know that students who are eligible to take our test have have had the self-discipline or the parental support in some cases, because seventh grade is not the easiest grade in the world. So 
they take our test and then we interview them. And this is real important about the family, School Outwalls family. The panels that interview the students, they interview the students and the parents separately, are made up of, there's one teacher in the majority of the panel, which is made up of students. So students make a, have a final say in whether a student is admitted or not. So they'll ask the question, why do you want to come here? And a lot of, sometimes the parent, the students will say, because my parents want me to go to GW for free, and uh, that student doesn't get into the school. But the student who is really excited about wanting to meet different people and deal with a diverse culture, they're the ones who tend to be able to get in. And then we interview, the same panel interviews parents and tells parents what their uh, what our expectation is and listens to them as to why they think their students should get in. Although the parents' answers aren't graded, the students are and their whatever their score is, it is added to the number of correct they've gotten with the uh, with, on the test, and that's how they're determined to get in. So parents in, in our open houses marketing the school, that's one of the things that I, the song that I sing is, we expect parents, when we call you, we want you to come. And many times we don't talk to a student who is having issues without having the parent, having spoken to the parent first. Sometimes, like we had an issue today where the parent came in and I spoke to the parent before we even spoke to the student, just about internet and social media. And that's a real problem across the country. And we're trying to get on top of that as well. Richard, it's been such a privilege to be able to connect with you. I know you are amazingly busy running two schools and I've been in your building and you are so generous with your time. I just want to say on behalf of, of, of other principals across the nation who are always looking for mentors or peers, um, I know that you are uh, a principal who gives back consistently. I know that you've had lots of schools that have come and toured your school. What's the best contact information if someone wants to get a hold of you? If they, if they want to learn more about your school or if they're in the D.C. area and they want to sure. come by for a visit, how could they connect with you? Well, as you know, probably as a Blue Ribbon School, it's incumbent upon us to be available for visits, school visits. And I have someone coming from Philadelphia uh, this week. Uh, we typically have a lot from of principals come in from China, but you can use, what's my first and last name, uh, richard.trogish at dc.gov. And uh, if you're in town, we'll certainly uh, look forward to hosting anyone who is interested in and seeing, seeing the school and, and asking questions. Richard, thank you so much for your generosity. Thanks for being a leader. I connected with you originally because we both are members of the National Association of Secondary School Principals, where you served as a state coordinator, and I've served as a state coordinator in the past, and now as an executive director for my state association. It's just been such a privilege to reconnect with you. Thank you for your time, and um, and I'm looking forward to staying connected. Thank you. I, I look forward to you coming and visit again next time you're in D.C. Principal Matters listeners, I hope you pulled some golden nuggets from that conversation with Richard Trogish. You know, later that evening, when I left my visit from School Without Walls, that evening I found myself sitting in a restaurant near the Capitol. Uh, it was a place called Bantam King on the north side, a small shop that serves ramen noodles and incredible fried chicken. And the wall that was across from me in that restaurant was covered with Patterns of cafeteria trees glued to the wall in blue and aqua green and yellow rectangle patterns hanging through the middle of this room were paper lanterns and colors of red and white and yellow, and the ceiling tiles were made from basket weaves. 
the wallpaper from faded cutouts of newspaper Japanese cartoons. It was a place with a constant beat of music and the hum of voices and the clink of utensils on soup bowls. And as I looked around this room, I thought about how this small diner captured the culture of the community because it had a flavor of all the folks that were in and out of this place enjoying their dinner. And it reminded me that our schools all have their own flavors and cultures too. Whether I'm sitting in a small town in rural Oklahoma or in a suburb near Denver, Colorado, or an urban setting in Washington, D.C., there are commonalities among all schools that perform well for students. Whether you're looking at urban, suburban, or rural settings, high-performing schools embrace and celebrate a community's culture. They provide safe learning environments where teachers love their students. They place high standards on academics and rigor. They include wraparound programs that support students academically and emotionally. And the adults and students and parents are proud to be partners together, serving students along the way. So this week, as you think about your own school, I just want to remind you of how important it is to focus on those essentials because what you do matters. If you'd like to stay connected with me, you can find all my resources at my website at williamdparker.com. You can find me on social media at Twitter at WilliamDP, at Instagram at William underscore D underscore Parker, or you can always reach out to me by email at Will at WilliamDParker.com. I'd love to hear from you. I hope you're having a great week. Thanks again for doing what matters, and I'll talk to you again soon.